Amen. You may be seated. And as you're doing so, I do invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 16 this morning as we continue our study of the life of Abram. You can also find this on the insert inside of your bulletin along with a brief outline of today's passage. I am grateful for the message of my dear brother this past Sunday, uh, Pastor Stephen Sprague from Deuteronomy 30. I hope you had a chance to hear that as it actually ties in really well uh, to where we've been in the life of Abram and that um, idea of covenant and covenant promise, uh, that need for us to circumcise our hearts and be turned to God fully and completely. And that's what we saw two weeks ago, if you were with us, um, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, one of the pinnacle passages in the life of Abram, that covenant ritual, that covenant ceremony, where God again promised an inheritance, a family, a blessing to Abram, and God walked through the parts, the pieces of the animals himself um, in the smoke and the pots, the flaming pots, signifying that he would take on the promises and the obligations of this covenant. It's a beautiful passage. It, it's such a, a wonderful uh, moment in the life of Abram. And I wish in some ways we could have stopped there because quickly comes Genesis 16. And again, sadly, we find ourselves face to face with Abram not in a moment of spiritual strength, but in a moment of spiritual weakness. A, a moment where he believes God, and he believes what God says, and he believes what God promises, and then seeks to get it on his own. And it will cause challenges in his life, which we'll talk about this morning. And it will serve as a warning for us this day of the consequences of trusting in our own selves over and above our God. With that in mind, please um, follow along with me as I read for us the word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 16, I'll read the whole chapter. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to you, your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant's in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring, so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. 
And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, for the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me now as we go to our God in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, your word has gone forth. The truth of it remains to this day. But if you do not pour out your spirit upon us and open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, we will not receive it. We will not heed its warnings. We will not live as followers of Christ in light of it. And so I pray for our congregation. I pray for my own heart. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to heed the warnings of sin and sinfulness and selfishness in this passage. Help us rely on the God who is faithful, even when we are faithless. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we look through the, the stages of Abram's life, we see that God is clearing obstacles out of the way so that miraculous provision is the only answer. God has promised an inheritance. God has promised a son. God has promised land. God has promised blessing. And what we've seen to this point is on his own, Abram is unable to fulfill, to achieve, and accomplish these things to the point that he's going to be left at, at the end saying, God, unless you do it, unless you give it, unless you provide it, it will not be so. And we do want to give Abram some credit. We, we truly do believe, and we see it again and again in our passages, that he believed God. You know, we, we concluded um, in chapter 15 that he believed the Lord, that he trusted in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Chapter 15, verse 6. And so he believes God's going to do what God says. But yet at the same time, there's this doubt, uh, there's this wonder, how is it going to be accomplished, Lord? How will you provide that which you've said you will provide? You offer me a child, but we are childless. We've been working on it for many, many, many years, 50, 60 years at this point. And yet the child has not come. And many of us, and we want to be very careful here, many of us, particularly at this side of, of history, we will look in. We, we, we will look in with critical eyes and, and we will have a conversation with Abram. Oh, Abram, you've just got to wait, buddy. Just be patient. It's going to be okay. It's going to work out. God's going to provide. But remember, we're people who've read the story. We, we, we're people that aren't waiting on that promise. We're not living the life that he's living 
And let's be honest, if we look into our own hearts, if we look into our own lives, how often when God promises to us, when God offers blessing to us, do we find ourselves going, okay, I think I can shortcut this thing. I think I can get there a little bit quicker. I think I've got this figured out. You see, quite often, we're much like that child who's determined to fly, and they know that they can, and they decide, I will do it by whatever means necessary. And I'm mindful of a cousin who um, took a bicycle steering wheel and a rope and tied it between two trees and climbed into a deer stand and jumped out of the deer stand holding that bicycle handle and tried to jump onto that rope and glide his way to the ground. And to this day, his collarbone hurts where it shattered. So he hit the ground and realized quite often when we seek our own solutions, we end up in pain. When we seek our own way, when we seek to shortcut God's plan for our lives, we end up hurting. And we end up worse than we were had we but waited. And yet, again, I have to impress upon us, aren't we that way? It's easy for us to look at someone else and go, how dare you act that way? But if we search our own hearts this morning, we find we are like Abram, and Abram is like us. And so to that end, I want us to notice a few truths in our passage as we study Abram, and really as we study our own lives and our own hearts. I want us to see from our text that straying from God's path leads to sin. Straying from God's path leads to sin. We see this in the first six verses. I also want to see in our passage this morning that God cares for those that are defenseless. God cares for those that are defenseless. Verses 7 through 14. And then finally, and then really ultimately, we must wait upon the Lord. We must wait upon the Lord in the concluding verses. Would you please follow along with me as we explore the life of Abram and as we honestly explore our own lives? And I do want to take a moment this morning and, and just consider all of the sinful actions taken here by Abram and Sarai. Their goal is a worthy one. God has promised inheritance, blessing, descendants, children, and it's not working out for them. And so they want to achieve this. They want that blessing. They want that fulfilled promise. But they go about it in ways that go against the Word of God. And we need to recognize that. We need to, um, to state it so that we see how they erred from God's Word. And maybe, just maybe, that prevents us from falling into the same traps. <laughs> And, and probably the most obvious sin here in our passage, uh, to, to see it, we go back, way back, just, you know, 14 chapters to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, the earliest statement of what marriage should be. Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, A man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God's design for marriage, one man and one woman, a marital union that brings joy and honesty and togetherness. There is no shame, there is no animosity, there's no difficulty. Now, if your marriage doesn't feel like that, we are having a Sunday school class on marriage, and we would love to explain why that is the case. 
in your life. But in its ideal state, there is blessing and unity as marriage is designed. And this type of union, this ideal picture, what what God says marriage should be, is contrasted here in our passage in a very clear way. Abram is unable to produce a child with his wife, Sarai, and after some time has passed, um, many years of, of praying, she comes to him and says, I've got a solution. I've got this servant. Take her. Make her your wife. Now, wait a minute. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You can't add a third into that, and the equation still add up. That's not permissible. That's not allowable. That's not God's design for marriage. Now, maybe you will say, but Aaron, in the Old Testament, this was often done. In fact, we see a lot of the patriarchs engage in that. Let me be very clear to you. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but you should this morning. And it was sin. Period. When any of the patriarchs, when any of the forefathers took on more than one wife, they were engaged in sin. Period. God's design was between one man and one woman. We can look to King Solomon and find out all of the trouble that that caused when they violated God's command. It doesn't even matter that culturally this was a normal practice. In the days of Abram and Sarai, it was normal. It was regular. It was to be expected that men were to have multiple wives. The more wives you had, the more children you had, the more people on the earth. It seemed like they were fulfilling God's design to populate. That's not how it was supposed to be. And so we, we recognize that first off, the first problem here is a deviation from God's design for marriage. That will come to play here in a moment as it creates conflict in the marriage. But we can look, we can, we can um, actually see very plainly from the Lord that this was not meant to be. We can go to the book of Galatians. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 22, It was written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free. Verse 23, The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. In the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, that word flesh um, can also translate as sin, can also translate as the way of man. And so... Ishmael comes through sinful practice. But that's not all. <laughs> that's not all. We note how sin breeds sin here. We, we note how straying from God leads us to straying from God. So we continue. Verse 2, Behold now, this is Sarai speaking, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children with her. And these words, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai, his wife, approaches Abram, the husband, and says, Sleep with my servant. Wasn't his role as the husband to say that's not what the word of the Lord says? Wasn't his role as caretaker and shepherd of that house to say, 
I will not sin against my God in that way. Do not tempt me in this manner. Wasn't it his job to tell his wife in love, no? Yes, it was. But that's not what it says. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And where does this remind us? What does this take us back to? It takes us right back to the garden. Earlier we were in Genesis 2. We go to Genesis chapter 3. Eve is deceived by the serpent. She takes of the fruit who and eats of it and gives some to her husband who was with her. We always like to leave that part out. Who was with her? Adam sat back and watched her eat the fruit to see what would happen, and then after she didn't fall over dead, then he ate of it. But wasn't it his job as the husband? Wasn't it his job as the caretaker of that relationship, priest of his household, to go, serpent, be quiet. That's not what God said. That's, what not, that's not what God has promised. Be gone. But they fell into sin. Now let me be clear here. I'm not saying that listening to your wife is a sin. Gentlemen, far to the contrary, most of us would sin less if we listened more. But whether it's our wives, whether it's our children, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a boss, whether it's a friend, if they tell us to do something and it is against the Word of God, we are obligated, we are compelled, yea, we are commanded to disobey in respect and in love, but to disobey. For we cannot sin against God in response to the word of anyone. And yet Abram failed his role as husband, as caretaker of his family. He does not correct her. He does not tell her that's not what God has said. He does not challenge her faith. And what is the outcome here? What is the, what is the, the, the conclusion to this, this, this sinful pile of acts? Taking someone that's not your spouse, committing adultery, not listening to God, taking the word of another against God. Pain, hardship, difficulty, sadness, tension in the very marriage that they're trying to sweeten. Think about this. I, I don't know if you caught it in the text. Hagar immediately gets pregnant with Abram. What does that mean? Who's impotent in the relationship? It's Sarai. It's not Abram. Don't you see now why she may have gotten upset? Do you imagine the, the weight that that's put on you when for years, for 40, 50, 60 years, you've been trying to have kids and all of a sudden you find out it's because you're barren, not your husband? It's your fault. And so she lashes out at the woman she gave to her husband. Even more so, she calls God's judgment against him. May God judge you for what you did. Now wait a minute, Sarai, you brought Hagar to him. May God judge you for your sin. There's animosity. There's hatefulness, there's an evoking of God's wrath and His judgment and His justice. And not only that, there's this casting off of Hagar, sending her out into the wilderness basically to die. There's some heavy implications here that, that she was being beaten nearly to death, so she runs away to die in the wilderness rather than to die at the hands of her slave master. 
or to to this point, or I don't know what that relationship would be, the the both of them wives of Abram. But I want to before I leave this point that 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 sin, that straying from God leads to sin, I, I want to read for you the words of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter three, verse three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, for it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The inverse of that's also true. And I ask you to search your heart this morning to consider your own lives. Do you find yourself knowing your path? Do you find yourself trusting in the Lord? Do you find yourself in a state of healing, in a state of refreshment? Or are you here today weary and tired and lost and unsure? That comes when we stray from God. That comes when we take our own path, our own goals, our own desires, instead of following the Lord's plan. It's what happened to Abram, and it's what happens to us today. When we stray from God's plan, there is pain. And here we are again. Uh, An Abram who's proved less than faithful. We've got a mess of things. But at the same time, as we've seen every time this has taken place, this section of Scripture really is about faithfulness. But it's faithfulness of God above all else. And we see that clearest in our passage in how Hagar is treated, not by Abram and Sarai, but by the Lord. God cares for those that are defenseless. Would you look with me at our middle section of our passage? And yes, Hagar has some blame here. She gets pregnant by Abram, who's now her husband, but then she gloats about it. Probably shouldn't have done that. Probably shouldn't have been contemptuous about that situation. Ha ha, I got pregnant by him, you didn't. But yet she is treated harshly. Again, like I said, in the Hebrew here, there's some heavy implications of strong beating, of um, cruelty done. And then we see one other sin of Abram. Abram now has two wives, an act of sin, but this wife, this one that now he's in charge of two, he's to care for two and provide for two, he lets her run off into the wilderness, effectively to die. That's what he does to for this woman that he is now has a child with, or she's pregnant with his child. Flee. Whatever, whatever Sarai wants, Sarai gets. And so Abram, the shepherd, the head, the father, the one that is to care for the household, is doing nothing. And so she's left defenseless. She's left hopeless. She's left in distress. And while Abram fails, the Lord does not. An angel of the Lord comes to her. This also can be translated as the Lord. As often God's messengers are. The Lord does many things for this woman. And we'll note them here. First, the Lord tells Hagar to return to Sarai. Now, at first glance, you may not find that very gracious. 
Now, wait a minute, God. Um, Sarai's been beating me nearly to death. She hates me. She doesn't want to have anything to do with me. She hates my child. Why would you tell me to return? That seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? Well, what is promised? You will have a child. What is required to have a child? To be alive. And so, what the Lord is saying here is, I will spare your life. They will not take it. They will not take it from you. And so, he is calling her to obey. He's calling her to submit to those in authority over her. And while at the same time, he's promising her life will be spared. That is a mercy. Secondly, there's another promise here. Her child will be the father of a great nation. And I believe in this, at least in part, this is due to the promises made to Abram. Abram's children, Abram's descendants would make great nations. They would be a great people. Now, this is not the child of promise. This is not the foretold one that would fulfill that which was to come. But he is a child of Abram. And yet, God says, this child would multiply greatly. This child would be well known. This child would possess much. And as we know through our history, the line of Ishmael would. And we know that, we know that that'll take place by this prophecy. And this is another blessing. Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And again, we may look at that and go, well, that's unfortunate. But I don't want you to think so much about the prophecy itself. We can read the rest of the Old Testament history to see that. But think about the fact, how many people at this point has had the word of the Lord come to them? How many people has the Lord visited and promised anything? It's not many. It's not many that the Lord has reached out to them in this way. And so the, the fact that, that the word of the Lord has come to Hagar and the word of the Lord has offered this promise and the word of the Lord has gone forth, it's guaranteed, it's certain, it will take place. It will be accomplished. And then really the last blessing, and, and to me the most significant blessing that shows that God cares for this woman is her response. Her response, look at verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. Note the capital G God there if your, your Bible translates it that way. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. You could literally translate this, God sees me. Or to, to put it uh, more what's intended, I am seen and known by God. What a statement. What a statement to make. You as a slave woman have just been sold to your master as his wife. You have been impregnated by him. You have been beat by his other wife. You've been sent out into the desert to die. And yet the angel of the Lord comes to you. He promises blessing. He promises a future for you. And in response, God 
sees me. Now, I will admit, I have to admit here, um, all of the scholars, and if you go read Calvin, Calvin admits this too, this is some of the most difficult Hebrew in the Old Testament to translate. It is very challenging to, to kind of get what's going on here linguistically. But I am, I am convinced that this was a statement of faith. I am convinced that Hagar knew Abram's God. And in fact, I almost see it as an indictment against him. The one that was rejected responds in faith. The one that was cast off placed trust in the one who sees her. And the one who knows God, is known by God, talks to God, has been promised again and again and again by God, trusts in himself. God sees me. That's how God cares for the defenseless, for the helpless, for the hopeless. And let me just say in, in a word of encouragement and a word of warning this morning, because of this passage and, and many others throughout the Bible, let us be careful that we ourselves don't judge who is worthy of God. Let us be very careful that we don't determine who is worthy to come to Him, who deserves Him. Because when we look at the, these two in their lives, when we look at Abram and we look at Hagar, you know, Abram is a child of God, but, but still, who is the one trusting? Who is the one resting? Who is the one accepting? And who is the one following themselves? The master or the servant? And so let's just be very careful. I, I offer this as a word of encouragement and of warning. Let us be careful, because here's the, the encouragement. Maybe you don't feel very worthy today. Maybe you feel broken and cast down and cast out and not worthy of who God is and what He has done. God calls sinners to Himself. He draws His people to Himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Don't let who you think you are get in the way of who God says you are. For the God of the Bible, your God, sees you. And may we be encouraged in that. With just a few verses left, we may wonder, where does this leave us with Abram and Sarai? You know, they're kind of the thrust of the story, and we'll be on this story for several, many chapters to go. And we find that in our conclusion. Our conclusion, our concluding thought, and really the thrust of this passage, you must wait upon the Lord. Verses 15 and 16. Hagar returns to Abram and Sarai, and she does indeed give birth to a son. Abram names the son Ishmael, as the angel of the Lord told Hagar. And our passage include, or concludes with these words. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Here we are at least nine months later than when we started and what have Abram and Sarai accomplished? Nothing. They chose to scheme and work in sinful ways to accomplish their desires instead of waiting upon the Lord. And yet here they are, still without child. In fact, Abram will be 100 when the child of blessing comes. And so 14 more years to go. He doesn't know that yet, but we do. This will be a hard lesson for Abram and Sarai. 
This is a hard lesson for you and for me today, isn't it? Even though, or even still, sometimes we need those hard lessons. Just like my cousin who needed to learn when you jump out of trees, you break your collarbone. We need to realize that if the Lord does not provide, it will not be so. Far too often we trust in what we can do, what we can accomplish, to, that we can grab what we want. And yet may this passage ring in your ears. May it warn you. May it sober your mind. You know, often as we conclude a passage of Abram, we're encouraged. I love Genesis 15. Oh, what a powerful passage. You can just feel the energy as you get to the conclusion. and like, yeah, God is good. God walks through the blessings. And in some ways, this one kind of falls flat. We end this passage with, and they're getting older and they still have no children. But I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged because God comes to the rescue of Hagar. God cares for her when she's not cared for by others. I also want you to be encouraged this morning by the humanity of Abram. He represents us. He shows us how, if we're honest with ourselves, we often act before God. And we shouldn't be encouraged because of that. We shouldn't be encouraged that we do it. We should be encouraged that God doesn't drop him here. We're at chapter 16. We've got 20 more chapters of this. His story doesn't end. God does not let him go. God does not say, enough, Abram, I'll pick somebody else. You win. He continues to pursue him and to love him and to forgive him and to call him his own. And so while we shouldn't be encouraged that Abram's a sinner, we should be encouraged that Abram is still forgiven because that's how God still treats you and me today. The Lord is faithful even when Abram is faithless. The Lord is faithful even when we live in failure. And maybe that is encouragement to you today. Maybe this is exactly what you need to hear because you know your heart. You know your desires. You found during our time of confession of prayers like you were about 15 minutes too short. Keep the music going. i got about 40 more to cover. Be reminded. Be reminded this morning that God is good. He is forgiving and He cares for His people. We are called to trust in Him by faith and follow His path. When we seek our own, we fall into sin. But when we trust in Him, there's blessing and there's peace. Peace that can only come through God, our Savior. And we cling to that today and every day. Please pray with me. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, what a sobering passage this morning. What a passage that, that causes us to search our own hearts. A passage that makes us realize that we are sinners. Just like Abram and Sarai, we do scheme. And we do turn from your ways. And we do seek our desires our way. And that leads us to disappointment, to hurt, to heartache, to difficulty. Would you forgive us, Lord? Forgive us for our foolishness. Forgive us for not trusting in you. Forgive us for not letting you to direct our path and make our way straight. And, oh, Lord, would you help us to cling to you. 
Help us to trust in you and to rest in you, something that only can be done through the finished work of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we need you. I pray this passage has worked in our hearts today and caused us to even more recognize that we need you today. I thank you for your word and the power of it. I pray that you would bless it now as we continue forth in Christ's name. Amen.